Welcome to episode 9 of the Best Side Podcast. This one coming is pretty different. Um, every, every conversation obviously takes its different twists and turns and things get unearthed. But man, this one, um, it's been a while since someone made me feel a bit silly. And I don't mean, I guess, I don't even mean silly. I actually mean dumb. The bro was talking about so much stuff that was above my head that I had to go back and re-listen to this episode and actually fact-check him to make sure that he wasn't bullshitting me. Adam Belushi, we cover all sorts of stuff. The bro is a TED Talker. Uh, he is an entrepreneur. The bro is massive into innovation. Um, and he's a futurist as well, which is pretty crazy. What is a futurist? Well, he actually answers that question during this podcast because I had to know as well because I mean, I've, I've heard of people doing it, but I wasn't too sure how to word it. But you're going to learn a lot from this one. Things to implement into your day. To help set you up for a better day. Um, some crazy situations that the bro has been put in and, and that he's been subject to through his upbringing, which would definitely make you grateful. Why not? It made me grateful for all the things that I'm privileged to. Um, but also his way of thinking, you know, his, his growth mindset is pretty nuts. He's always looking to improve, always looking to do better, um, and very rarely gets down on himself for things that he may fall short on. He is ultra competitive though. So, so for those out there that are that are super competitive, you might be trying to figure out ways to use that best to your advantage. Um, you'll definitely want to listen to this episode. People that have been dab- dabbling in meditation or wanting to talk about a bit of mindfulness, he gives some ex- simple examples in here about how you can apply those things to your day as well. But this one is full of gems, especially for our entrepreneur types out there or people that are wanting to start their hustle, people that are wanting to read markets and stuff. This is full of info that you're going to absolutely love. So it's my pleasure to bring to you episode nine of the Best Side Podcast. This is Adnan Belushi. Sweet, man. Well, I guess, yeah, get things started. Kind of the age-old question where you're from, tell me a little bit about your background and your upbringing, or anything you can tell me. Cool, so I'm from the UAE, which is United Arab Emirates. My parents emigrated from Iran to the UAE in the 60s. I was born and raised there. And uh, the up- upbringing was, you know, um, very cultural, very collaborative, community-driven. Uh, I was, I'm one of um, 11 kids, so big family. Lots of eating together, sleeping in the same rooms, sharing walls, um, sharing books and, and all, all sorts of stuff. Um, growing up, I guess it wasn't until 14, 15 I realized the struggles that my, my family was going through and the hardships and things like that. Mm. And that was simply because we were born in a country where we were not entitled to be a citizen. Okay. All right. So the way the country... Um, I guess I'm not so sure what the details are because, you know, I can't go Google the history. Yeah, yeah. But as I understand, when the country was formed in 1971, they gave limited time to people to go register as a citizen if they were living in the country. And uh, my father, father decided not to because he was too proud to come from a different country. And as a result, um, when the kids were growing up and the kids re- realized that they should go and become a citizen, then the system said, no, it's too late, you cannot become a citizen. Oh, wow. Even if you were by birth, were born in the country. Yeah. Right? So that really threw us off from a perspective of who do we belong to, what's our national flag, what's our national team. Um, We were conflicted because my parents obviously had a different upbringing. They grew up differently and we did not belong to the country that they come from. So, um, and then, uh, then... 
the rules were around if if my father retired uh, he would not, he wasn't entitled of a pension so yeah. we all had to leave the country and go unless we were 18 and we got a job then we would be on a visa and then we would sort of self sustain ourselves even though you were born there yes. you'd be put on a visa yeah oh wow yeah. so that was the situation we were in and the timing is never perfect in any situation and so the timing was like i was 14 and my dad retired so we all had to leave and my mother was sort of adamant saying no nah, we shouldn't because there is no future in iran for us mm-hmm. and because this was the assumption that you were going to go back there yeah okay yeah so we couldn't be sponsored by anybody to be on a visa so we lived in the country legally for four or five years and through that journey there was a lot of fear around you know if we got caught or the cops stop us and ask for our id we might get deported Uh, don't go out and hang out with friends don't go out late at night Um, uh, the school system we used to um, change our visa expiry dates by purpose forge documents to actually go to school yeah sort of things right so the how long did that carry on for how long did that four carry years on? Far four years um so there came a point where my brother actually managed to go get a job so he got out himself my my older brother mm-hmm. and he went and got a job without a visa or? without a visa yeah. somehow managed to get a job you were dude and you were dude. Yeah, creative problem solving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, somehow managed to get a job at a bank selling credit cards and then he got a job doing some marketing stuff for a Kiwi guy in Abu Dhabi. And somehow he managed to get himself to a point where he was making enough money where he could sponsor the rest of his family on a visa. That's how we became again legal status position. We paid some fines for being illegal in the country for five years and then I managed to go and get a job. And the same Kiwi guy hired me. And long story short, we built a great relationship. Um, I started by being a receptionist, making coffee for him. Really loved business and projects. So he got me a lot of opportunities, mentorship. Ended up living with that family. And two years later, um, I always had this goal in my mind, projecting myself 15, 20 years ahead and saying, how does my life look like when I'm 30? and minimizing all the regrets I may have if I actually don't make different choices. So it's a model that I came across when I was sort of 17 or something, or 16. A model that Jeff Bezos used to start Amazon. Mm. And he calls it um, regret minimization framework. It's about anticipating yourself 20 years time and saying to yourself, okay, what are you doing in 20 years time? What does your job look like? What does your situation look like? How much have we traveled? What did you achieve? What does happiness look like for you? And then making different choices now to get to that time, right? So for me as a 17 year old, I was thinking when I'm 30, I want to be citizen of a country so that I have some rights. I want to be able to travel around the world. I want my son to have a better future. All of that thing, I want to go to university. So all of that was in my uh, personal development plans and my boss was reading that and was learning from all of that and was providing me those opportunities to unlock those futures for me and as a result minimize all of that regrets. So fast forward 15 years now, my family is still living in that situation. They're still on a visa in a country that they've been living for 40, 50, 60 years. 
and um, yes, their situation may have improved a little bit, but it's still the same. Mm-hmm. And their kids are still living that reality of their reality. And my son is living in New Zealand. He's a, he's a citizen of New Zealand. Um, he has kept a lot of the generational struggle that his cousins will have, mm. right? So, yeah, I guess that's a little bit, little bit about my past mm-hmm. and my upbringing and where I'm from, yeah. Cool. I can hear just in the tail end there you're talking about, um, you know, how you, you, some of your family are still over there going through some of those, um, dare I say, struggles. Yeah. Or they might not even be struggles. They might be just part of what people are going through from what you sound like because I doubt yours is a unique story. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have gone through what you guys gone through as a family over there. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are in the same situation. If you look at the population of the country, there's eight eight million people, and one million of them are citizens. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of people going through that situation. But sometimes, you know, I argue to, to say the way that people are living the life that way is it because the system has done it that way, mm-hmm. or is it because it's a lifestyle choice? And you might stop and say, hold on, you know, living in hardship is not a lifestyle, right? But at some perspective, it may be if you choose to continue that when you acknowledge that that's actually hardship. My perception of what you're saying is that it's like neither way is easy. Mm. You choose your heart and sometimes you choose the devil you know. Yeah. And is that kind of, is that relevant to think what you're saying? Yeah, I think for me, when I look at it and I say that the world is built by human systems, yep. it's not perfect, it's imperfect, because people have built a world who are no smarter than us, and human capacity uh, and resources is always limited, no matter how much you throw at it, so there's always going to be problems. Even if you create a new solution, there will be more problems. So look at the world as something imperfect, and be creative around how you solve it and how it, uh, it puts, you can put yourself in a situation where you can have a great life, make a difference, create impact, change some of the problems in the world. That's how I was seeing it. So for me, the best solution was to leave, get into a different environment, grow differently, develop differently, have rights, have opportunities, get some support system around me, some structure so I can develop myself, create a platform, a business or an in, in, uh, or an environment or whatever that may be um, to actually make difference for others. That's sort of how I see it. I see every choice, every situation we are in, um, if it provides us less opportunities to exercise our cause and what we like, our passion, our mission that makes us happy or gives us pleasure or helps yep. somebody else. Uh, if that's limited, then there's always a different way. It's the concept that... Um, I sort of call divergent thinking, okay. which simply means that one question can have multiple answers to it. Right? Sure. Um, and you just have to explore those different as experiments, just like my life is an, was an experiment. Coming to New Zealand was an experiment for me. Come and try something different. And I hated it for a long time, and then I loved it five years later. Um, your development stage, you mean, or your the background you came from, or sorry, which part were you talking about? My transformation about? stage, oh, yeah. coming to New Zealand. You know, you come to a different culture, different environment, um, different ways of living, different context, different language. Um, um, you know, you can look at my story and say, oh wow, you had you know such a great, great experience. You came to New Zealand, and now you have New Zealand, but it, it's never been like 
you know, here you go and play because it's you're you're reinventing your mind. Yeah. As to how you grew up. Yeah. Into a totally different world, um, and that takes time. Dif- I mean, I, I mean, at that time. I mean, you've you've called it a transitional period. Um, I always say, like, my friends and people close to me often tell me that they find that I'm pretty self-aware, and yeah. I get that vibe from you. I I feel. I mean, we've been talking for five minutes, um, but. I think that comes from surviving those, dare I say, hardships or transitional periods. Like, you don't get to that level of self-awareness without going through a bit of stuff yourself. No, it's the, it's the stoic philosophy that goes back to 2,000 years that the obstacle is the way. There's a lot of people take shortcuts around the hardship to get to that point that they want. Whereas if you practice the discipline of persistence, action and will, that creates you a person where a mindset that actually nothing out there no matter what business no matter what situation has never been uh, created in a very easy way right for sure so if you want to go achieve something or create an impact it's it's hard whatever you're doing there's no there's no shortcut to anything so my experience i guess If we look at the concept of change, change happens for three reasons. One is when there's a crisis, it forces change. One is a direction that's given to you that forces change. So your parents might say, okay, we're leaving this country, we're going somewhere else. So that's a new direction you've been given and you have to, no choice, you have to go do it. In a business environment, that might come from your boss, right? Um, The third piece is growth. As you grow, you have no choice but to change, right? And change is sort of like breaking an atom. If we don't break it strategically and smartly and scientifically, you can just explode. Yeah. So a lot of my learning was I was not breaking my atoms correctly. I was like, yep, I'll sit in that plane, go to New Zealand, see what it is, and then I'll deal with it. Versus to now I'm more scientific with my approach, more aware of what's happening, what are the global trends, what are the local trends, what are people thinking, what are my my business thinking, what are my customers thinking, what are my family thinking, and then sit on it, understand it, experiment it, and break the molecules in very smaller gradual pieces where I may be able to um, control some of that breaking and, and some of the change to make sure change happens for positive impact and being aware that that positive impact creates new problems and how do I accommodate those new problems in my change process as I go? Whether it may be, um, for example, my wife has been at home raising a child, I've been working in a corporate world. Within three months our life changed and we were running a business together. She's got not a lot of business background. I have a lot of corporate background helping startups grow, no background in starting my own business. Um, and all of a sudden the dynamics are cha- changed. Communication is different, our timing is different, our routines are different, we sleep at different time, our child is growing fast, our business is growing fast, uh, we always have arguments, um, <laughs> and, and for healthy reasons, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's coming back to your point that um, it's always, it's, it's the hard, it is hard. A lot of people may look at us and say, look at you guys, you've got your own business, you're amazing, you're doing this. But it's, it's not that their life, is, their life sucks and our life is beautiful. Mm. That's not the truth. No. Uh, even if you come and do something, what we're doing, it's, it's not beautiful. 
you know. But the choices is that you got to make is what provides you the most uh, fulfilling experience and pleasure and what makes you happy. And I constantly have this conversation with my wife and I always say to her that at any point, the question is when it is, when does it come to a point where you have to say, okay, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing at anything in life. And the question is, if you realize and acknowledge that what you're doing is a situation where you have to be unhappy to create happiness for others, mm. that's when you've got to stop, right? You may have got into it thinking, I can create happiness for others and for myself, but you're actually very unhappy to see others be happy in, in your environment and, and in your space. Then then that to me is, is you've got to change something, yep. you know? So we do that a lot and we make sure that we are not unhappy by creating happiness for others. We have to be happy to create happiness for others. Um, and others have to be happy to create happiness for us. So we are constantly very conscious of that in a very deliberate way. Yep. We ask that to ourselves. Uh, in the morning journals we write and the gratefulness things we exercise after dinner, you know, three things you're grateful about, you know. And this um, is every day? Every day. You know, and that's important, and that keeps you in check to what's what's working, what's not working. Because a lot of my upbringing has also created a lot of trauma, and a lot of the trauma is around um, my way or the highway. Uh. You know, um, so because you seem that you need the control to drive your future because that's how you created success for you in the first place because you made those hard choices to come to this point. Almost like a sense of control to make sure that things or your son doesn't have to have to go through what you kind of went through all, all of that sort of stuff. stuff. Yeah. So at the moment, I'm starting to go through a lot of healing. Cool. So a lot of meditation, lots of, um, lot of, a lot of brain work, letting go of that trauma, letting go of those trigger points... Um, just sitting and telling myself don't not so, so vocally speaking to myself not don't don't react please stay calm or don't say anything in that environment um, internalizing a lot before you externalize you do you do um, so all of that stuff is is yes to answer answer and wrap <laughs> your question <laughs> is that you actually have to be very self-aware be vulnerable and appreciate that we as humans have been evolutionized to be perfect and structured whereas we are just we have to em embrace our imperfections you know couldn't um, agree with you more yeah yeah so that's yeah that's my thoughts on that so you've mentioned um you know you're going through a bit of a growth stage yourself in your personal life yeah. what are some of the things you're learning about yourself as you do so so you've mentioned that you got to learn to kind of internalize a lot of things before shooting from the hip too quick what are some other things that you've there are different brackets to, uh, and this is the most important thing, is that um, as humans, this is why mental health is so high, is that you, you have to, uh, we live in a time where a lot of my entrepreneurship growth is happening. At the same time, I'm healing as a per, from a personal perspective. So a lot of stuff is happening at the same time. So I have to manage a lot of different growth, mm -hmm. right? So for example, in the trauma space, I'm learning to not be this person where I am. I feel like I'm responsible to provide for my family, right? 
um, and my wife's been through mental illness now she's actually really healthy and she's actually providing she's working she's doing a lot of stuff so it's becoming like a balanced thing right um, whereas I don't feel like I'm more, you know, it's the old male behavior, yeah. right? That I'm exercising unconsciously or maybe subconsciously that I have to be the person that actually has to go do all the, all the heavy weight lifting. So all of that stuff is being, I'm retraining my brain. Yeah. So what I'm doing now is that just cause I'm busy doesn't mean I'm providing or I'm creating value. So I work three days a week, week on and week off. So Elle gets to run the business for five days and I get to hang out with my son, which is great. So that's one thing from a personal perspective. And also starting a 12-month program around healing, just to sort of heal myself from a lot of trauma. And trauma comes from lots of different places. Working in corporate world is traumatic, you know, because I'm a purist problem solver, not a bureaucratic political person. So I've learned all of those behaviors that I try to exercise subconsciously now, which I'm trying to unlearn and be a purist person. I don't need to get involved in a political debate. I don't need to get involved. It's not what I'm designed to do. So, um, How do you know that? How do you know that's not what you're designed to do? I guess I have over time learned and seen the experiences I've had in life where and you know I've been studying myself for 15 years I've done a lot of tests Myers-Briggs I have done lots of different personality tests I know what my top five strengths are I know where my weaknesses are right so I'm a very visionary person very very visionary very futuristic very strategic thinker I look for problem I, I, I'm, I'm, I operate in a very anti-fragile mindset and environment what that simply means, politic and bureaucracy is always driven in fragile mindset, fragile environments, whereas it's all personalized. Whereas anti-fragile teaches us the concept of depersonalizing. Is I, I'm, my mind works in a way that I don't, my mind doesn't register you as a brown person, um, uh, or so there are a lot of connections to that brown person, mm -hmm. right? My mind registers you as- As me. As, yeah, a human or, or there might, you might be talking to me about a problem, right? So my solution is not designed about your background or what I might assume about yeah. you or you're a male or female. There's no, my brain doesn't see that, doesn't register that. So it just sees the problem, mm -hmm. right? So I'm talking about the problem, not about you. Does that make sense? Yeah. So a lot of that has come through just me growing up and learning and experimenting, understanding myself. So I feel like I'm very similar in that way. And right. a challenge that I see when doing that with people is they can often, uh, I, and maybe this is high horse of me, I don't know, I see it, it's their ego, but they do see it as me seeing them as those things. Right. Whereas I am just simply trying to solve or answer the problem. Yeah. Whereas they might say to me, oh, you're just generalizing me or something like that. Do you have that sort of experience too with people? Yes. So I just did a new test about my strengths and how do I find blind spots in my strengths? How do I fill the gaps? How do I navigate the things that I'm not good at? And how do I delegate the things that I'm really weak at? Right? So in, if you break down our, our personality types, we have strengths. Then we have things that we're kind of good at but we navigate through those, and then there are things we're really not good at, so we actually delegate, right? So um, by learning- Or try that, to do them, you just do them horribly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you know, you got it. So, so it's, 
as, a, as an art of constant reinvention is you've got to do these things on a yearly basis to stop and see where, where your gaps are and, and how do you address those. So a lot of the way that I try to do things is, for example, uh, my brain will anticipate a solution and a problem much faster than someone else's brain, right? So I might be sitting in a, in a meeting with you and, and I will draw the solution and the problem in a much, because I'm thinking about it constantly, much more mature way that may come across that I might be uh, overstepping or I might be criticizing your solution. I might be telling that you're doing it wrong. And I have been in those situations before because my frustration does tell me, and I'm sick and tired of this, not doing it right. And I just like, you know, bang, bang, hammer everybody, right? Mm. Whereas now it's sort of like, okay, deal it differently. Ask questions. Back up a lot. You know, the, I call it the rubber band theory, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, if you look at... I learned the rubber band theory from Breaking Bad, right? I don't know if you've watched Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Vince Gilligan built a show with the rubber band theory, whereas often you watch a TV series, it's straight into action. Mm. Whereas the rubber band theory say you pull, 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 and people go, oh, I'm sick and tired of the show, nothing happens, it's all boring. And when it comes to the last two seasons, it just shabam, poof, right? And you go, that makes complete sense because I battled through the first three yeah. episodes, yeah, I really you know, struggled. Like, uh, but everyone said, just keep watching, just keep, keep watching. watching. Yeah, and then the rubber band just smacks, and you don't know when it smacks. So it's sort of the same thing at the moment in my world. A lot of people are doing a lot of things and I exactly know how that will turn out in 12 months time. But I'm not out there shooting the rubber band. Yeah, yeah. I'm just pulling, 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 stretching. And there comes a point where everybody goes, ah. holy shit. And I go, bang. The light bulb goes off. You know? So, so a lot of that techniques I use is, um, and one of my biggest challenges is listening. Just sit and listen is my biggest thing because my brain is racing and firing electrons at a pace where I just want to get out there and, and like paint the picture. Solve the so, problem. Yeah, exactly. So I sit and listen, understand how they see the problem, ask a lot of questions, direct a little bit, and actually, um, instead of giving them the solution, I give them tools to go and unlock the solution in their own style. Right? Cool. Um, so that when I see the solution, I go, that looks very similar to mine, but unique to yours, and now you can own it, and you can love it, and you can embrace it. It's almost like the consultants, right? They come into your yeah, business, yeah. and they say, this is what you should do, like Deloitte in a box, Datacom in a box, right? They come and take over your company, transform it, and tell you how you should do it. They beat you into, into something in a box, and here you go. Whereas the, the lot of techniques I'm talking about is, instead of giving you a solution in a box, I go, how do I actually give, give you some belief systems that you can translate your own way, build your own culture so you can own it and it becomes your thing, right? Yeah. So that's a lot of how I'm trying to do things differently um, and deal, deal with things differently. So I'm doing a lot of growth around becoming an entrepreneur, getting rid of that. Um, uh, and a lot of the good things I'm keeping from the enterprise world is, you know, I'm, I'm making decisions in my business as if my business is a 1,000 staff business because that gives me the ability to scale, right? Um, and a lot of things I'm not doing is, for example, 
if I have to implement something in my company, um, here's the big dilemma that startups have, right? Startups don't want to be like corporates, and corporates don't want to be like startups, mm. but they are organically becoming a startup, One, yeah. and startups are organically becoming like corporate, because what do we do when we grow? We go and hire people who have always had jobs and come and have a work for us. So our founder mindset and founding members dilute, right? Yep. The corporates is the same thing. They're actually now going to the startup world and hiring entrepreneurs who build their own companies coming in. The corporate concept is diluting and it's becoming more entrepreneurial, right? So my challenge is how do I make sure I grow and not turn become into a big, ugly corporate that everybody hates? Mm. How do you, I, you, I, and you mean the, the stereotypical perception of a corporate. You don't want to become that, right? That's right. Because on paper, I mean, the definition of a corporate, like you do become that, but the... Yes. It's the yeah. the perception, the public perception of what a big bad corporate is that you don't want to become. Yes, and also um, the corporate world is changing. So when I have an enterprise, if it looks exactly what an enterprise looks like today, in my enterprise talking about 20 years time, mm. then I have failed in creating an enterprise. Yeah. So I have to understand the trends of how an enterprise might look like and bring people in to make sure that they, are, they understand that and they support that future enterprise vision and sort of coming and saying, this is what I have been doing the last 20 years and this is what we should be doing for you today. Then I will likely create an enterprise that looks like yesterday, right? So that's the key thing. Is, there's no evolution. That's right, yeah. So, that's, so there's a lot of uh, stuff happening. Obviously, um, I've founded two companies and the first one I founded is called Future Humans Lab and that's inspired by my personal experience. It's a research and education platform and the idea behind Future Humans Lab is to ensure that the many revolutions we go through in the future will go through, um, will make sure that humans are in the center of that evolution. We have now the technological evolution. Mm. Then there will be convergence of humans with machines. Then we might live in a world where machines rule and humans are become slaves or whatever. Right? Skynet. You know exactly. <laughs> so, so a lot of that um, convergence will continue. And a lot of what I try to do is how do we make sure that corporates are not thinking in a mindset that we have to um, use artificial intelligence to create productivity and get rid of humans because they're too complicated, they're hard to deal with, and they are very expensive, right? How do we make sure that the uh, policies we're writing actually put humans in the center of what we do? And unfortunately, we live in a world where a lot of people think that the future, we are a spectator to the future that's been built and said that we can choose create to actually it. create it. Mm. So Future Humans Lab empowers people to actually get involved, build the future, learn the tools of how to build the future in many different ways, whether you work for someone, whether you are part of a community or whether you're a government official, whether you're an entrepreneur, don't just live in it, create it, right? So that's Future Humans Lab. And through that, I do a podcast, I do speaking, I'm writing a book, um, I do training workshops to help people actually uncover all of that. And the other business that I co-founded with my wife is Johnson Corner, and which is where we are right now. And the idea of Johnson Corner is to help support, create a platform around the world where we support the future of work. In the next five years, at the moment, there's 19,000 of co-working innovation hubs around the world. In five years' time, there will be 30,000. Yeah. 
So what we're trying to do is to build a culture with the Maori protocol, New Zealand culture, um, and uh, with the values that we should actually build the future, future thinking, all of that stuff, package that in a way that um, it helps build the value of an asset for a landlord's perspective, but it also empowers uh, individual startups, corporates to actually get involved, use this as a platform to change the world and make it better and solve human problems and take that around the world, place it around the world and build a global ecosystem where all of that happens. And, um, and we believe that's, that's really something we can achieve. And, and by creating that environment, hopefully we inspire people to actually you know, bring human in the center of things and, and solve human problems uh, and advance humanity, whether through technology or, or through anything really, or through the work that they do. Um, and that's and and to me that is a human infrastructure, a connected human infrastructure. Because in the future, or in the near future, the most valuable infrastructure would be the connected mind of humans that together solve human challenges. So that's what we're trying to do: is to build this ecosystem around the world. Um, and the New Zealand culture and ethos is really important because we're really good at accelerating problems. That's what New Zealand is really good at. What do you mean? So I studied my master's research for five years, New Zealand, learning New Zealand's ability to become an incubator of global problems. We, ha we have, through our isolation, we have built the DIY culture, right? Yep. And we have, so that's why early stage startups perform really well in New Zealand. And that's because in New Zealand, it's the easiest place to start a company. Uh, accessibility is really high. Uh, the support structures are really mature and strong. You can turn an idea into something that can create uh, revenue very quickly, can create impact very quick quickly, can create value to customers or communities very quickly, and it can get to a point where it's, it's, it needs to go overseas to get the uh, growth and, and become bigger. Yeah. Right? So if you take that model, which means that we have developed and mature as a country and as a society and a community where we uh, validate, test and learn very quickly, we, so we accelerate solutions to problems very quickly. I see what you're saying there. Then we become a hub in New Zealand where other countries come to New Zealand to say, hey, I'm trying to solve this problem in India or wherever. Um, um, I can plug it into an accelerator program, incubator program, or a co-working hub, or wherever, and then that will automatically accelerate the solution faster, then they can take it back into the country, implement, grow, and off you go. And that definitely happens. That like, happens. That's right? happening here all that's the time. That's happening here time. Five, ten years ago, that wasn't happening here. That's what I was studying. The ability of New Zealand's innovation, knowledge, and ethos that can actually become in the future an, an incubator nation where the world look as, as an incubator mm. or country, right? So we'll have a lot of hubs, we'll have a lot of accelerator programs, incubator programs, we'll have that capability. It will, it will, it will be on steroids, right, you know? So what I'm trying to do is vision, see that vision and take some of that capability and ethos and culture, take it to Singapore, base it there, where Singaporeans can come to New Zealand Johnson Corner yep. in New Zealand, learn that on ground instead of like coming to New Zealand. So how do I take the New Zealand ethos around the world and, and by doing that build a global business? 
is what I'm, I'm, I'm sort of visualizing. So that's, that's a bit about what I'm doing around my, the businesses and entrepreneurship and things like that. And Crazy. Yeah, it's fun. So as, what is your definition of a futurist? Because I'm always interested in like the term futurism and people who title themselves a futurist. What would your definition be? No, it's a good question. Um, I, I don't know if... Um, I think future, futurism and, and a person who is a futurist um, is a skill set. Is the ability to be able to anticipate multiple different futures in, in different scenarios of how a future might look like um, naturally and organically. So what we are really good at um, as a personality type, or, or at least me, I can talk about myself, um, and I'm sure a lot of features do, we have this really natural ability to um, take a lot of, learn, learn a lot of global trends, understand what's happening, look into the history very fast, learn the directions that the history has taken us, and create scenarios where how a possible future might be. Hmm. So I can tell you in 60 seconds what a future of uh, school look like in 2040. How does that change in 2060? So our mind quickly learns history directions. We take those directions and the choices the global world is making today, create scenarios of how a future might look like. Let's call it a movie, right? We're creating something visual. Yep. Then we take all of that and we feed it to people who may not be, uh, who may not have that sort of anticipation visualization skills. We make them realize, and they use all of that knowledge to create shared vision as a group of people to say, "Hey, now we have all of this knowledge and information. We can actually make better choices." Okay. Okay. So let's use an example. Yep. Cool. Okay. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. 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 So let's use an example. Um, Let's just say that if we, so if we look at, let's go back and say around the 16th century, the 18th century, a lot of the problems we had was around starvation. How do we stop starvation? People, millions of people died out of starvation, yeah. right? Then we evolved from that, solved that problem. Then we had the issues around diseases. A lot of people died from disease and, and things like that. Then there was the war, right? Now it is obesity and mental health and technological change, right? So if we look back in those directions, that tells us a lot about the directions that we are heading in the future. And if we look at the problems now, the problems that we are facing in the future Let's, let's break that down, actually. Yep. I want to simplify that. Let's take education, for example. Right, 60% um, of the kids that are learning in things in school now is irre irrelevant. Okay, So the school, the role of a teacher is changing, um, and the role of learning is changing. Learning environments are changing. We call it in the futurist world, uh, teaching and learning 2.0. <laughs> um, so schools may look like so 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 there are a lot of trends uh, happening there right um, kids are coming into the world um, there is um, not enough education for them to have a prosperous job hence their living is um, 
very expensive and that's driving the sharing economy trend the gig economy um, that's why Uber is on the rise. That's why all the sharing economies on the rise. So they, these are all repercussions. Yeah, for of sure. They're all things. ripples. Yep. They're ripples all ripples to the right? splash. Yep. So we look at all of these ripples and how the world is being created because of because we haven't changed our education system for 300 years. Then we say, okay, how can we make a different? What could be the possible outcomes of those those choices, different choices we make? So some of the scenarios we start to paint is, hey, maybe a school will look like where there are no classrooms, no chairs, nothing. You go and learn in a jungle, in a bush. Or communities will revert back to the olden days where there are communities, within those communities, you grow in that community and there will be schools in those communities, right? Kind of shared living kind of concept, yep. right? Or there could be a future where kids will come and learn in co-working spaces because they are a high level of creativity and so kids can retain their creativity level, not get beaten down by the education system and become an accountant or, or something else, which may not be required in the future, right? Because artificial intelligence coming into play, mm. right? So we can anticipate that. We can see that. Another trend could be that schools will operate in an environment where there are not teachers. Which will scare people. Yeah. And that's because human augmentation is happening. Do you understand human augmentation? I get it to a degree. I'm not going to pretend it all, but for people listening, break sure. it down. So what's happening around the world is artificial intelligence. Companies like FaceMe and Soul Machines in New Zealand, they are augmenting um, humans uh, in, into machine environment. And uh, another example is Hanson Robotics. They created Sophia, which is a famous robot. If you haven't seen Sophia, you can go and Google and YouTube Sophia. Uh, she actually has a physical appearance, they, 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 a face that people can recognize, but she's a machine. Mm -hmm. And you can talk to the machine. Um, she's actually a citizen of Saudi Arabia, right? Crazy. So that's where it's getting at, whereas in the future we will see in classrooms, Albert Einstein, Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa, coming back in hardware and software design artificial intelligence that they will teach kids in a personalized way, right? So... Um, a school without teacher might look like where there will be um, coaches or mentors, not teachers, who teach education, but mentors that help kids with the human side of things, the creative problem side of things. Because machines will still not be able to do the unpredictable work. They can do the predictable work, right? So you see what I'm doing here? I'm looking at the history, mm -hmm. the things that the lack of the education system, the ripples it's created, the world we have, and uh, the if we don't change that, the world becomes more hostile and there will be crashes and there will impact a lot of people, slow down the world, the advances we want to go. War's a big fear uh, at the moment. Wars and uh, yep. lots of different, uh, lots of stuff there. Um, so we look into anticipating by learning in the history direction what could the history look like. We use a lot of trends. We connect a lot of trends together. We create sensible futures. Then we uh, create vision for people to go and experiment with that, learn what's possible, and then go create different futures. Right? So that's feature, futurism is not about prediction. I'm not sitting here and saying in 50 years time the world will look like this. Mm -hmm. Anybody that has answers, then that is wrong. Because I can tell you that in 50 years time the world may look like exactly the way it is, I'm wrong. If I tell you in 50 years time the world looks like sci-fi, I'm, I'm more wrong, right? 
So futurism is about asking questions to find more questions, not answers. There is no should, there is no will, there is might. How might this be? Here's How an idea, here's a possibility. Be? Futurism is about breaking down a lot of issues in societies around lack of imagination, lack of foresight. New Zealand's actually really bad at using foresight as a skill to make decisions. So that's where futurism is coming into play and becoming really powerful now, whereas it actually is empowering a lot of communities and businesses and organizations and countries to look at all the global trends and bring them together, make sense of them as a collective trends, understand what possible pathways might be. So as a futurist, we explore things like what's a probable future? What's a possible future? What's an impossible future? What's a plausible future? What's an implausible future? We explore further to find pieces of things that make sense, bring them together and create our preferred future, right? And make sure that our preferred future is aligned with global trends, it's adaptable to global trends, and it's, it's not lacking imagination and knowledge and information that when we create something, it doesn't actually create the value that it should be creating. Cool. Sorry, I just had to unpack that for a minute. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah. Um, so that's really, futurism is very scientific. It's tools-driven. There's a lot of tools out there. There's a tool um, that I highly recommend people to use called QUID, Q-U-I-D. What it does, it... Um, studies a lot of data from a lot of press media information about a lot of things happening let's say if I want to know what is Apple investing in today so I can go ask that to quit quit studies all the jobs that Apple is hiring and creates this beautiful visual neural picture that ha Apple is hiring a lot of people from the car industry it's hiring a lot of people from um, the space industry, then we can actually start to think that Apple is actually getting into mobility, getting into transport, um, all of that stuff that intelligence we can create. You know, we can ask, it's a machine learning based tool. You ask a question to quit, in two minutes it gives you a neural design of what are the trends are. You know, what's happening in the education industry? Who is you doing blockchain? What is New Zealand doing? You know, you can ask questions and it gives you information very quickly. The other tool as well that I use a lot is a Finland-based tool called Futures Platform. A lot of futurists put trends in visual radars. We can use it to actually add our own trends in it. We can comment on it, share it with everybody, create shared view, update how our future might look like on a quarterly basis and use that knowledge to actually go and have an entry point to innovation crazy right so um so yeah it's very strategic very um, scientific very futuristic it's certainly not a you know put your finger in the sky and say i know what's gonna happen yeah yeah it's not it's not about that future is actually a skill set and it's been taught in university there is a subject called strategic foresight it's an academical subject uh, with best practices and tools and methodologies and a lot of futurists have been writing books and, and methodologies so it's it's more scientific driven method driven um and adaptable instead of 
predictions, predictions. you know. Yeah, so. which is often the big misconception with it, is that people are just trying to yeah. guess or anticipate what's going to go on. Yeah, and a lot of futurists have start, stopped probably saying that they're futurists. A lot of people say they're nowists. Cool. You know, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Well, um, look, nothing, we were speaking off here before, you were saying, you know, that things are changing at a space so of three months time the world's changing every three months yeah. so yeah a futurist is analyst yeah. yeah i think um uh, one of the things um that people should really get their head around is the wheel of life okay so the wheel of life looks something like this it's, it's uh, imagine it as a circle that is going clockwise okay starts at 12 o'clock midnight and call it the speed of change Something's happening in the world that's forcing you to have it do something differently. We talked about the three different types of changes, right? Mm -hmm. Something's happening differently, so let's do something differently. Then that creates, for example, in 2040, the speed of change, it's happening now. It means that um, let's drop that down to 3 p.m. At the, at the clock. Let's okay. look at it as clockwise. Speed of change at 12 o'clock drops to three o'clock, then that speed of change is driving totally different life, you know? Then that is driving something different at six o'clock. At nine o'clock, the way it looks like in 2040, human amplification. We will have humans that will have machines inserted to them, stuff like that. And this from 12 to 12 o'clock cycle will multiply every 20 years. The speed will get faster, 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 faster. It's taken 150 years to have that speed of life go around in circle to go from the third industrial revolution to the fourth to come to this technological change and in the next 20 years it will get faster 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 which means that the fifth the sixth the seventh the eighth industrial revolution will come much more faster than what's happened in the last 150 years yeah yeah okay so look and we've at, seen it now of technology yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's a really uh, that's a really important thing to get our head around. For sure, yeah. I'd never heard of that concept yeah. before. And then as I was shutting my eyes, like you, I'm sorry, I felt like I was being a bit rude because I wasn't looking at you because I was yeah. looking down, picturing yeah. it in my head. Yeah. I could, uh, hopefully, I'll have to find a YouTube video or something like that that gives a visual representation of that that I can share with the listeners because I think I that's something that everyone should because to. I've come up with it myself because I wanted to use it to visualize the wheel of change, the yeah. wheel of life. And uh, something I'm trying to put in my book as a method that people can use. Um, and yeah, look at it as a circle. It goes around, you know, just like a 24-hour day. Mm -hmm. And in the next 20, 40, 60, 80 years, that speed of life will continue to change. And you have to constantly stay on it and make sure that you are changing at the same pace. And you are constantly reinventing yourself as a person to keep up with how the world looks like in every 20 years and that evolution of humanity will change in every 20 years i shouldn't say well i should say might change yeah yeah yeah. you know um and and so so that's that's a really important thing to get our head around is that wheel of sp life driven by the speed of change cool yeah so i want to um quickly touch on you know, you coming to, you mentioned you coming to um, New Zealand, um, growing up with 11 siblings or being one of 11 siblings and also the things that you learned from your parents, you know, you said it wasn't until you were about 14, 15 that you realised that um, 
the hardships and stuff that they kind of went through. What are some other things? I mean, it sounds like you can reflect now on a lot of the challenges that you've been through and you kind of see them as strengths now. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. I mean, I talked about the obstacle is the way and as you go through a lot of challenges, you actually learn a lot of disciplines um, and that makes you stronger and it rewires your brain and you can deal with things much faster and much harder as long as you heal you know a lot of people that go to war as soldiers they come back they learn a lot of things and they have to find ways to actually use the, those skills to create new positive impact but at the same time they have to heal as well so uh, what I've learned from that is to actually embrace the hardship, you know, and heal at the same time because the hardship creates a lot of traumatic experiences. Sort of like I talked about in my TED talk is how do we embrace uncertainty? A lot of people, when they see uncertainty, they think, oh my God, this is not okay. How do we create certainty? But if you embrace uncertainty, because the opposite of certainty is not uncertainty. The opposite of certainty is learning and education and growth and hardship and all of that you know, comes with that connectedness and getting closer to building relationships, getting people better, connecting with the earth better, all of that. But because now we have to live in a world where uncertainty is the new normal and comfort is a delusion, mm. we have to at the same time learn skills that allow us to deal with uncertainty and those skills are around healing and meditation and yoga and all of that stuff so i think there's a, there's a, there's millions of things i've learned in micro level but in a high level i've learned to embrace the hardship don't look at a hardship for 15 years i looked at hardship as something that i should be sad about because i looked at others having really privileged lives right but now I think that I have surpassed their privileged life and the slow pace that they're living and, and actually I'm much more richer with knowledge and education and learning and ha I don't know if I'm more happier or not. Mm. But I have certainly found happiness with uncertainty and just the hardship and waking up every morning and going, wow, look at all of these uncharted waters, you know. How much fun would that be? Yeah, being be, excited know? about it rather excited, than fearful of exactly, it. Exactly, you know. And... Um, and a lot of people will put you down when you fail and you have to be strong enough to say to, to um, not fight for it but just don't feed yourself from what people might say that why you failed but you try to break it down and learn and make sure you next time do it differently so over time what happens a lot of people will drop off your entrepreneurial journey because they wouldn't want to trust the way you might be doing something. They may not be able to visualize your relative value, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to partner up with you today because they don't see that you are value to them or whatever, and that's fine. But a lot of people see your relative value and they invest in your possibility. So you've got to be strong around that. Keep, 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 keep those connections going. And... Over time, you've got to believe in your, in your relative value and over time you convert those relative value into reality and then people start to actually come and join and be part of what, what you're trying to do and the impact you're trying to create for others. Yeah, 
Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah? for sure. The, I mean, the, the, sure. and the one question I guess I ask every guest that comes on the show, and I know you, to be honest, you've touched on this quite a bit anyway, but um, I ask every guest that comes on the show, I say, look, there's someone listening right now who is in a bit of a deep hole, uh, they're in a bit of a dark space, perhaps even looking at giving up on life as a whole. What would your advice be to that person right now? Before I give any advice, I should say that I'm not a professional. If someone is feeling really low or something like that, I'm sure there's a lot of um, uh, support networks and professional environments. If you're in Taranaki, go see Taranaki Retreat. I'm sure that they will be very helpful. Call the call centers and um, get into the government support network and, and please reach out. I watched this beautiful uh, graph online that said if somebody is depressed do not say all of these things to them you know things like mate grow up mate harden up mate you know get over yourself things and, could you be know, worse things could be you'll worse. be okay yeah never say that sort of stuff to anybody um, so um, so that's the first thing I'd like to say is I'm not a professional and I'm happy to share my personal story yep. I'm, 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 we're all different we all have different mental capability um, so from my perspective, I think a lot of what I did, this this may be correct or not, or maybe not the right approach, I don't know. Yeah. But some of it worked for me, some of it hasn't. Um, I, I think you feed off from who you're around. And when I was leaving the country, coming here, a lot of my family thought I was an idiot, I was stupid, I was making the worst mistake. Uh, my family did not talk to me for a long time. A lot of them still don't talk to me after 10 years of leaving the country. So you kind of have to like try to change the environment you're in, the physical environment, the people around you, go find something different. That's the first thing that you acknowledge. And you are a product of your environment. You are doing what the environment is asking you to do. That's why the concept like Taranaki Retreat are so powerful, that you can just plug yourself out of your life go into a new environment, be around different people, and all of a sudden you start that as a starting point and then your healing starts. And your healing might look like you do a lot of traumatic uh, healing and you listen to other people and you start doing different routines, you start to find confidence in yourself, people give you new opportunities, you know. So for me, there, there was the leaving and coming to New Zealand, new environment, new different structure, even though I didn't know a lot about it, and I took that risk, um, uh, a lot of my positive um, confidence in me came through, um, support structure, new family, all of that stuff started to actually feed me in a positive way. And it took a long time, and still there's a lot of healing to be happen and traumatic things to get rid of. So I think it's the my advice is the first thing you want to do is um, to let's let's actually focus on the acknowledgement before you change your environment, right? Uh, Anthony Hopkins had something beautiful online, and it's quite um, and I posted it the other day on Facebook, and you know he says, "Listen, mate, nobody gets out of this life alive." However you, it is, right, whether it's suicide, you kill yourself, or whether you die because of age, or whether it's an accident, we're not going to get out of this life alive. Yes, there's a lot of people using technology to make life immortal, but, you know, they, forget that. Um, nobody gets out of this life alive, so be you, be foolish, be stupid, go do something you want to do, 
Um, if the people are not around you, right, just change them. Don't worry too much about what my mother might think, what my father might think, or I'll lose all my friends. Just you will make new friends, you'll make, make new buddies, you'll have new life. I've done it. I've got rid of all my mates, all my friends, all my school buddies. Um, I, a lot of my family don't talk to me, and that's their choice, not my choice. I'm not the loser out of it. And, um, and from that, a lot of things organically carry move into making you in a putting you in a positive, healthy environment, in a healthy headspace, uh, and things start to flourish, and you start to um, you start to be you, and that's it. You do you, and not worry about what others want you to be, and that's it. And there's no perf- there's no perfect thing. Don't chase reputation. Don't chase what people will say about you, what people think about you. Um, get clarity about who you are. Find a mission. Find a vision. Find a cause. Um, cause usually comes from personal experience. And then create a platform or something that you can exercise your cause as an outlet. And, and, and just be. And you do you. That's what I would say. There you go, a lot of practical tools, a lot of takeaways from that one, things that you can recommend and implement into your everyday life. Make sure you go and see the bride Adnan and also his beautiful wife Al, and they got their beautiful babies with them too. Make sure if you're in the Taranaki area, uh, you go and visit them at Johnson Corner, that co-working space in the CBD. Um, They are massively, massively, as I've mentioned multiple times, into innovation and helping people move forward. Uh, They're all sorts of stuff on the go. So even if you're just stopping for a chat, let them know what you're up to. Leave an email or whatever. No doubt they'll be able to get in touch whenever things come across their way uh, and be able to help you along in your journey because I know they've definitely done that for me uh, with a couple of the projects that I've been working on. So, yep, some massive takeaways to take from that one. How to predict the future. A lot of people were curious as to why I named it that. Uh, hopefully now that you've listened to the episode you'll be able to see exactly what i am meaning please don't forget to give us a facebook review instagram check us out as well it's all at best side with three eyes and don't forget to spotify apple podcast google casts Castbox, everything where you are listening please make sure you leave us a review, review to help us move things forward grow bigger and better so we can keep having these conversations that definitely need to happen thank you for tuning in this is best side 